0: joining me on Next on the Tee I'm your host Chris Mascaro and on tonight's show we're going to get to spend the next hour with one of the great ladies of the LPGA tour now playing on the LPGA Legends Tour and that's Gail Graham. Gail won twice on the LPGA tour earned nearly 1.3 million dollars over the course of her playing career. She's from Winnipeg, Manitoba. She was the first non-American president of the LPGA. She played her college golf at Lamar University, and if that rings a bell, and it should, it's because our good friend Maureen Medill, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, also played at Lamar University. Gail is in more Hall of Fames than you can shake a stick at, so a lot to get into with her when she joins me here in just a few minutes. Following Gail, I'll get a visit from teaching professional Bill Abrams. Bill is one of the most decorated teachers in the state of Illinois. He's been named the Central Illinois PGA Teacher of the Year, the state of Illinois' PGA Teacher of the Year. He's also a top 50 U.S. kids golf teacher, and last year, the Golf Range Association of America named him a Top 50 Growth of the Game Teaching Pro. So we're going to get some lessons from Bill and a lot of advice when he joins me a little bit later on in this hour. So folks, more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour. And as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our good friend Steve Rondinero about what they have coming up this fall.
1: Fall golf is gorgeous at French Lick Resort. Perched on one of the highest points in Indiana, the Pete Dye course hosted the first-ever Senior LPGA Championship this summer. Ask the ladies. The views are spectacular. The venerable Donald Ross course is looking better than ever as it celebrates its centennial. Go to FrenchLick.com and save with our Hall of Fame package. Play legendary golf at French Lick Resort this fall.
0: Yeah, folks, be sure to go to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great a place it is and to book your stay as well. And, folks, have you heard me talking about ClubHub? If you haven't, listen up and get ready to discover the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out there. Other shot trackers tell you what happened. ClubHub tells you what happened and why. Take the progress you make on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that can go on the course with you. I've ClubHub sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right, you know, into the tops of your grips and I can tell you, I've learned more about my swing and all the data elements since I put ClubHub sensors on my clubs than I learned over the 40 years I've been playing golf, you know, up to this point. But before you go online and buy your own set from our friends at Kinetic Sports. They have a special limited time discount for our listeners. Now for the entire month of October, you can get any Clubhub product for 25% off by entering NEXT, that's N-E-X-T, and get your Clubhubs for a stellar low price. Head to clubhubgolf.com, that's clubhubgolf.com, to get your Clubhub sensors today and see your game in a whole new way. We're also excited to be partnering with the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. The Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company, they are backed with the same great equipment that you know and love without the retail markup that you hate. Now you can buy premium Ben Hogan irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, and bags directly at, from the factory at a price that your wallet's going to appreciate. Visit them online at BenHoganGolf.com to order or give them a call at 844-53-Hogan. That's 844 844- 53 hogan plus also check out our friends at the bobby jones apparel company by going online to bobbyjones.com their new fall collection is out it's time to update your wardrobe with enduring style from the bobby jones apparel company see it all online at bobbyjones.com and as you know we have been partnering with russ holden and the folks at caddy for a cure one of the most unique opportunities in the world of professional golf is available to you through caddy for a cure Spend a day inside the ropes with one of the world's best players as their caddy. It's a fantastic way to have the time of your life while supporting our wounded service members and Fancona Anemia. You'll walk side-by-side with your tour player, experiencing professional golf as an insider. In addition to this amazing experience, you're going to receive a fantastic gift package from Caddy for a Cure, including Under Armour logoed apparel, an eyewear package, a tour-grade caddy bib suitable for autographs and framing, a 10-cup ball marking gift, Chefs cut real jerky and professional photographs of your day as well. Go to caddyforacure.com to learn more. All right, now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is LPGA player and legend Gail Graham. Let me give you some more background on Gail. She is from Vanderhoof, British Columbia, which is in Western Canada. As a junior golfer, she won the Manitoba Junior Championship once and the Manitoba Ladies Championship title twice. She played her college golf at Lamar University, where she was a four-year letterman and an all-academic All-American in 1986. She was a member of their 1983 team that finished 7th. And the ncaa division one national championship she was inducted into the lamar university hall of honor in february of 2000 gail finished fifth in the canadian amateur championship in 1985 won the manitoba amateur championship and the smu fall classic that same year she was a member of the canadian commonwealth championship team in 1987 turned pro in 88 and won the manhattan futures classic title She qualified for the LPGA Tour in 1990 by finishing 5th at the LPGA Final Qualifying Tournament in 89. She got her first win on tour at the 1995 Field Classic Cannon Open by Two Strokes, Over Tammy Green, she won again in 1997 at the Australian Ladies' Masters by One Stroke over Kari Webb. In 1998, she won the Canadian PGA Women's Championship. In 2000, she became the first non-American president of the LPGA Tour. In 2002, she was awarded the William and Mousy Powell Award, which is given annually to the LPGA Tour player, whose behavior and deeds exemplifies the spirit, ideals, and values of the LPGA Tour. In '08, she was inducted into the Manitoba Golf Hall of Fame. In 2015, inducted into the British Columbia Golf Hall of Fame, and she's now out playing on the LPGA Tour. And I'm very honored. She is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Gail, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for that little trip down memory lane. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: so yeah let's I want to go back to the to your start in golf and I read a story about you that said you were out with your father one day he was playing golf and you were sort of walking alongside him because you had nothing better to do and you know you asked if you could take a swing <laughs> having never played before you hit a perfect shot straight down the fairway is that how it all got started for you
2: pretty yeah pretty close um you know my parents uh my father worked for the Royal Bank of Canada and um we lived in British Columbia when he got transferred to Manitoba and a lot of the kids their their families had cabins that they would go to on the lakes in northern Ontario and and uh, southern Manitoba in the summertime, and we didn't because my dad liked to play golf. And so yeah, I was kind of bored, and they took me out one Sunday. My little brother was already playing, and, and I walked around with them, and I said, okay, well, that was like the most boring thing I've ever done in my whole life. So maybe <laughs> next week, uh, you know, can I try it? And uh so we went out and my dad uh the got the head pro to give him a set of clubs for me to try and, and the pro showed me how to hold on to the golf club and away we went and, and in my first nine holes I shot fifty nine. Um with really no instruction other than how to hold on to the golf club. So um it was uh I, I got bitten by the bug very quickly. Um and I you know, I was an athlete, I played everything. So um it was it was kinda of fun to do something on my own without a team. And um my brother, my little brother, played also, and um, it became a great spot for us to be out at St. Charles Country Club in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and go round and round and round the West Nine with uh, a bunch of other kids, and and uh, we were there from dawn to dusk for a whole lot of the summer. Uh, so it was a, it was a great way to start.
0: And and you know, Gail, it's one thing you know to enjoy the game playing with your brother, your father, your mother, you know, your family out there. It's it's quite another to realize, hey. You know, I could be really good at this. When was that moment for you? <laughs> when did you discover I could really be good at this?
2: Um, well, you know, as I went through high school, um, I had a couple of opportunities that sort of gave me a taste of what, um, golf outside of my own little nest, um, was like. And, um, the, the Optimist at the time ran the Junior Worlds in San Diego. And the Optimist Club in Manitoba picked me along with three other, um, junior golfers, one other girl and, and two boys to go to San Diego. Um, and they let us know in about November and we were to go in, in the summertime the next, the next summer. So I spent that summer, um, uh, when I was 15, really working hard on my game. And, and then I went down to San Diego and, and who were the stars there but Phil Nicholson and Heather Farr. And I was rudely awakened to the fact that I didn't <laughs> even stand a chance against these players that were playing. All year round and, and had been playing golf for a lot of years and I'd only been playing golf for two years. So, uh, but it gave me sort of the bite and, and the desire to go back and have some fun and travel and, and, uh, pursue golf as a, as a, as something. Um, and then, you know, into my senior year of high school, I was offered a, a scholarship to Lamar and, and it really wasn't till after my freshman year there when, um, Don Coe, um, now, you know, as Donko Jones, um, she she was a senior when I was a freshman, and when she got her tour card, we all kind of went, "Wow, uh, we could beat her on any given day." So, you know, maybe we should maybe we should think about this. And and so as I uh, progressed through college and had you know three more years basically to develop my game, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to give this a go um, and see. What happens? Maybe five years and, and see where I am after five years. And, you know, 20 some years later, um, I'm still playing competitively every now and then. <laughs> so it kind of stuck. <laughs>
0: so so how did you you know, how does a girl from from Western Canada end up playing her college golf in Texas?
2: That's a great question. Um, the coach there, uh, Pat Park, uh, she recruited a lot from Canada. She had had some success. Um, with not only, uh, with Don, but, um, Don Courtguard, um, Lynn Cook, um, and some, you know, players that came along. Patty Grant, who is now Patty Jonas and, and is out in, uh, Vancouver and she teaches, um, out there. Um, we had a, there was a real core group of Canadians. And so when I arrived, um, we had, I think we had three on the travel team that were Canadian and, uh, four actually. Leslie Price from Ontario came in the same time as me and, and at one time, um, I think my senior year, we had all five players were Canadian. Um, the coach liked us because not only had we, you know, shown that we could play, but we were also really good students. So she could uh, get us into academic scholarships uh, to be able to spread scholarships around and, and have a, a stronger, you know, a stronger team um, and, and with more depth. So... Um, we were lucky that way. And, and you know, to this day, Lamar and now so many other colleges recruit not only from Canada, but from around the world. So um it was a bit of an awakening going from Winnipeg, Manitoba, where in September, I would be putting my clubs in the closet for the winter, to Beaumont, Texas, where in September, it's 100 degrees out, and I was not putting my clubs in the closet. So I was, it was a little, it was a little sharp contrast to what I was used to. And um, I remember my first, uh, first winter break going home for Christmas and I was home for 21 days and I never, literally never stepped outside. Um, we would, I would get in the car in the garage and we would usually park in a parkade. It was so stinking cold. I couldn't stand it because I was so used to that <laughs> hot weather already. <laughs> and I wonder why now I'm cold all the time. <laughs> And
0: Gail, you mentioned a moment ago Don co Jones. We unfortunately lost her not that long ago to uh, to bone cancer. But just curious, to, yeah. you know, to get your memories about you know playing alongside her.
2: Well, what a great what a great uh, mentor for me and a great friend for me over the years. Um, you know, we used to call Don when I was in college. We used to call her the Chief, and we would have to follow her around. You know, so whatever she was the senior, she was the number one player, and and um, you know, the coach would say, where, where do you want to go for dinner? And we'd all look at gone <laughs> because we knew she'd win anyway. <laughs> and uh, as it turned out, you know, when I got out on tour, um, she took me under her wing and, you know, helped me find my way around courses the, the first couple of years. And, uh, my ex-husband actually, um, Terry Graham, he actually caddied for her for a couple of years. She, she had seen that as we were going through my, um, my second year on tour that, uh, we were struggling a little bit with spending a little too much time together. And uh, she said, Hey, anytime you guys want to take a week off, I'd be glad to have Terry come caddy for, for me. And that was the last time the <laughs> <caddy> for <fought> me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it turned out to be, you know, a great partnership for them. They, they, uh, he was on her bag for her first win um, in Hawaii. And, um, uh, and it was, you know, we, we became very, all of us became very close and with her husband, Jimmy as well. And, and so it was, um, it was a, a really great friendship. And, oh, you know, over the course of the years, we just became, you know, more and more, uh, sort of lifelong friends. And, um, you know, 2016, watching her be diagnosed and, and go through surgery and treatments and, and fight. And, uh, she did it with such class and such grace. And we were, you know, blown away by how she handled herself. Um, just a year ago, we had the first Don Code Jones classic, uh, to benefit the Amanda Lee fund at, at, um, Moffitt Cancer Center. And, um, that event is coming up at the beginning of November. Um, and obviously it will be the first time without her and be very bittersweet. But, uh, she stood in front of a room of, you know, 300 people and spoke very eloquently. There wasn't a dry eye in the room except for her. And you know less than a month later, she was gone, and so it was uh it's it's been hard. I can't believe it's been almost a year since she's been gone, but um you know, miss her every day, and um I see so many traits of hers, and her son, Jimmy, who is playing at the University of South Florida and is in his senior year um things that you you wouldn't even realize like when he finishes, he kind of settles into his hip just like she did. And the way he she he sets up over the golf, ball, it looks just like her, and it's just it's mind blowing the resemblances um that there are between the two of them but uh you definitely miss her incredibly um she was always good for a laugh and and a, a poke of fun, and when certain television shows came on or or she heard from someone on Facebook or she used to watch my dogs um over the internet when they were at the kennel when I was traveling. And she would yell at me because she, she'd say, why did you give me that link? I spent an hour watching your dog sleep. <laughs> and we still get a big kick out of that. But, um, you know, she, I, I do, I miss her dearly. And, and, um, bone cancer is a very, very hard thing, especially the type that she had. And, and, you know, the event, um, November 3rd, which is at Tampa Palm, um, her home course. Um, you know, hopefully they'll make a dent in finding, uh, better, better ways to treat it, and hopefully a cure one day down the road.
0: And Gail, I've I've talked with a lot of players, you know, on the, on, on the men's uh, men's side and on the ladies' side about Q school and the qualifying tournament, <laughs> and it being the most stressful tournament that they've ever played in. Was it the most stressful for you?
2: <laughs> oh boy, uh, yeah. You know, um, actually, it's funny. You know, the uh, LPGA sectional. It's coming up this week in Venice and, um, I have a young lady who's a good friend of mine who's going through that, um, this week. And I, I actually tied for first with Donna Andrews at the, at the sectional in Venice, you know, a hundred years ago. And, um, that part of it, I didn't find it stressful. When you get to the, when you get to the final school, um, the stress is, is, is hard to describe because it's not like your heart is racing or you're shaking, but your body does things that you just, don't know where it came from. I remember standing in the middle of a fairway and it was a par five and you could go for it in two and uh, I had three wood and I I shanked my three wood out of bounds going for the green in two and stood there and went, whoa, what was that? And then I dropped the ball and hit the next one on the green and made the punt for par.
1: (laughs) Wow.
2: You're like, how did that just happen? You know, it was so. It was kind of mind blowing. But the stress would show up in different ways. And um you know, it took me. I, I qualified on my second attempt. And attempt. In my first attempt, um, I shot. I was in one of the last groups the final day, and I shot 80. And I bogeyed the last hole, and I missed by a shot. And I oh. remember thinking at the time that that was just the most devastating thing that had ever happened to me. Um And you know, two or three years later, I realized it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I really wasn't ready to be out there. Um, as it turned out, I went through my my rookie year on tour in 1990 and then and had to go back to Q school again. And I I talked myself into that. I was never, ever going back to to play the Futures Tour. Um, and I was bound and determined I was going to have exempt status and uh, i never looked back i finished i think i finished 8 that year and then i never looked back i never even came close to to losing my card until it was time to walk away from from the tour so um it is a very stressful time cuz it it uh, you know you have such big dreams and and you want them to happen now and if it, you know hindsight 2020 i could say it's a process and there are times when you don't qualify that it, there's a reason for it, but it takes a whole year to figure out what that reason was. And that and that's you know, when you're young that's a hard thing to to swallow. Um but like I said, it was the best thing that ever happened to me that I didn't qualify my first time. because um, I wasn't ready the second year either. Sure <laughs> <it turned> does. <laughs> uh but hey, you know, uh I can look back now and say I wouldn't have I wouldn't give any of that all up. It I I learned a lot and that made me a stronger player for sure.
0: So, yeah, let's, let's talk about your first win on the tour, 95 Fieldcrest Cannon Open. What was it like for you, you know, coming, you know, coming down the stretch? You got the opportunity to win your first tournament on tour. You know, what's it like trying to get yes. that first win when you've got, you know, a few holes left to play?
2: Well, you know, the night before I had a one shot lead going into the final round and the night before we had had a um, dinner for outgoing commissioner Charlie Meacham and I had arrived late because I was playing late and I wanted to practice a little bit after and then I had to do some media stuff. So by the time I got to the dinner, everybody was already seated. And um, once dessert came around, I got up and I kind of wandered around the room and I I talked to Meg Mallon and I talked to Beth Daniel and I talked to Pat Bradley. And my question to each of them was, um, if you're on 18 and you have a one-shot lead, um, the 18th hole was a hittable par five. I said, do you go for it too? Cause there was a big pond. I mean, there, it was definitely risk reward, but, um, do you go for it too? And, and to a player, they said, well, you know, worry about that when you get there. Um, and, and depends, it, it depends on, you know, how he's been playing the whole day. And, and if you've got that one shot lead, you're still in control. So, um, if the, if the player you, you're playing with can't go for it too, then, you know, you might not want to risk it. But if they can, you might want to think about it. And uh, sure enough, I got to the 18th green or 18th tee, and we had a long wait. And uh, Tammy Green was one shot back. And she stood up on the tee first and, and hit it into the fairway bunker. So I knew she couldn't go for it, too. Um, and then I hit the biggest grab I, I hit all week. And I was down so that I had, I think, about 160 yards into the green. And it was no question as to whether it was a go or no go. It was over 160 yards. So I ended up, uh, she laid up. Um, and I still felt like, you know, she could still make birdie from there. That was, there's no question about that. But, um, I took enough putt to hit it to the back of the green, which I did. And then, uh, she hit it about 10 feet and I rolled my first putt about 10 feet past. The, Top past the hole just inside of her. And when she missed hers, I made mine. And I just remember the, the sort of aha, I did it. And I, whoa, wait a minute. I just did it. Like it, it was was so (laughs) surreal because I was so into it and so focused. And then uh, I was uh, like immediately out of that focus and the realization that, wow, these people are. Cheering because I just made that pot and I just won. Holy cow, I just won. And, uh, <laughs> it was pretty amazing. I was, you know, I still felt like I was pretty young up there and, and, um, but I'd seen a lot of my friends win and I thought, you know, I could do this. Like Dawn, I, I, every given day I could beat her. So, um, it was pretty amazing. And, and, you know, back then, um, we did a lot of stuff. Uh, we did a lot of stuff off the golf course as players that kind of went unheralded. And the day after, um, so I had, you know, we celebrated, we did the media thing and and I had pizza with some, some friends at, at one of their private housing. And I then got in the car and drove down to downtown Charlotte um, to spend the night in a hotel room with like six other players because Betsy King being one of them, we got up the next morning and started to build a house for Habitat for Humanity. And I thought, wow, wow. okay, that's what it's like to win a tournament. And, you, you know, aren't you supposed to like celebrate for days? And no, we turned around and, it was actually rea- like serious reality the next day, which is really cool. It really grounded me. Um, and it took me, you know, I didn't get home till Friday. And, uh, when I arrived home, then there was the celebration with everybody from my youngest nieces and nephews to my grandmother at the airport to, to meet me. So, um, it was really, it's, a, it's very vivid in my mind, um, about that. Um, you know, the only thing was that my husband at the time wasn't there. I was there by myself. So, uh, that was kind of a little bit bittersweet. Um fortunately the second win that I had on tour my parents were there so that uh, and that's a great story too but um it, it was it was very cool to have family right there when you win.
0: Yeah and that's what my next question was about the 97 Australian Ladies Masters your parents travel over <laughs> to Australia with you and then they get to see you win a tournament on top of that talk about how special that was.
2: It was pretty surreal. I remember telling my parents that I had two round-trip tickets on Canadian airlines, and we should use them. Somebody should use them before they expire or before Canadian air goes belly up. And and uh, it wasn't that long after that that they did, so I'm glad they used them. But I remember my dad saying, well, it's tax time. You know, I don't know if we should be spending money. I'm like, Dad, you've been retired for 15 years. What's what's any different this year than any other year? And, and so they agreed to go, and they ended up flying into Sydney. And the course um that we played was on the Gold Coast. And they rented a car and drove from Sydney up the coast of Australia to Queensland and arrived Thursday morning in time for my first time and then walked 72 holes with me along with uh, quite a few members from St. Charles country club in Winnipeg. Um, they would, instead of going to Florida or to California for the winter, they would go to Australia for six months. And uh, so I remember this, this motley group of canadians being there with um with all those aussies out there cheering Kari on and uh when we got to the back nine on sunday she had a five-stroke lead standing on the 10th tee and um i won by a shot so it was pretty surreal the last nine holes how i played well and she was a little. Uh, you know, sort of unglued by everything and it's repunted a couple times and I made a few birdies and the next thing we knew we were coming down 18 tide. And, um, I remember what I remember most was making her cry <laughs> and I feel I felt terrible at the time and I laugh about it now, but, um, I know that that was a, a sting for her and I, I, I want to sort of say, Hey, you know, this is what spurred Carrie Webb onto her Hall of Fame career, but she was well on her way to that. But, uh, um, it was, it was pretty surreal beating her because she was, uh, the phenom at the time. She was the Lydia Co. She was the Brooke Henderson on tour at that time. And, um, you know, her career, uh, I could only, it, it's just a, a, amazing what she has done and continues to do. But um, I can take a lot of pride in the fact that I beat one of the best players in the world um, to win my second event on tour in a really cool place with my parents there. Awesome. Yes, absolutely. And
0: <laughs> just a couple more, Gail, before we let you go. And like I mentioned in your intro. You're in more Hall of Fames than you, people can shake a stick at. You're in the <laughs> Hall of Fame at Lamar. You're in the Golf Hall of Fame for both Manitoba and, and, and British Columbia. In, in your quiet moments now, when you sit back and, and, and reflect back on your career and all the things that you've accomplished, what, I mean, what's, what's it? Do you, do you give yourself credit? Do you think, wow, what an unbelievable career? What a wonderful life I've had? I mean, what's it like to to reflect back on all the things you've been able to accomplish?
2: You know, it's, it's, um, it, it, I, I'm very proud of all of those things and, and golf has, has really provided for me in, in so many ways, uh, throughout my, my career and through my life, um, you know, being a part of, the Commonwealth team that won in New Zealand and, and, you know, being on, on provincial teams and, and the national team for Canada and, and Lamar and, you know, right up to playing, um, handicap with, with the internationals on the Legends Tour. Um, it, you know, from a competitive standpoint, it, it's just been a, a an amazing journey, um, on that side of it for sure. Um, and I look at, Outside the ropes, the things that it's giving me, you know, I, I was president of the LPGA tour at a time where there weren't a lot of international players who were really taking, um, interest in the, in the workings of the tour and building the tour. And, and I'm very, very proud of that. And, and I served for seven years of my career, um, and two years as president. And then, you know, I took that when I retired and became president of the ter- tournament owners association for the LPGA and, Got to work with all the events and I, I talk about it as being my outside the ropes, um, uh, outside the ropes career. And, uh, and now, you know, I'm, I'm still playing a little bit on the Legends Tour and I'm teaching and it, it just gives me uh, so much joy to be able to see people get it when they, you know, they have some improvement in their game and they're excited about it and, and enthusiasm, and, and I can impart all of the things that I've learned over so many years of experience to to those people. And um, you know, I think the greatest joy, though, in all of it, um, and I laugh sometimes, and we, and a lot of us do on the Legends tour, we're like, "Geez, were we really that good?" Because it's just kind of mind blowing. Because you know how hard the game can be; it, it it can be so difficult, and and you think, "Wow, did I ever?" hit shots like that and then you hit a good one and you think, Wow, I still got it and it you know, it ma- that makes it kind of fun. But um, you know, the greatest part of the game is is being able to to just play and play with whomever. Um, you know, I was out this past weekend, I'm in Portland, Oregon right now, and I was out this past weekend watching a young lady that I teach play division a division three tournament um with her teammates from Whitworth University in Spokane and and it was you know, it was so fun just to watch them play and sort of to feel that pressure and that excitement and and you know wanting her to do so well and then turning around and playing golf with my friends you know where we're just laughing and and having a beer and enjoying the game and um you know i'm I'm so thankful that that one sunday my parents took me out and um you know my father passed away this past april and and to the very end golf was the thing that kept us so closely connected and he, you know at eight at The age of 90, he shot 89 and, and, you know, broke his age for the umpteenth time. And, and we laughed because he's like, you're never going to be able to do that when you turn 90. And so, you know, the golf, the golf (laughs) just spans so much. So I'm, I'm very proud of my career and I'm proud of what I've done off the golf course. And, and I'm excited for the so many opportunities that, that it continues to present to me, whether that is, you know, coming on a radio show with you or, or commentating with the golf channel or, or working on the board of the Legends Tour or, you know, teaching young kids to play. Um, it's just such a great game that it just provides so much um, life experience uh, rather than, you know, just a sport experience. And, and uh, you know, I want everybody to play golf. I want every kid to play golf just so that they have the opportunity for some of those great experiences that I've had.
0: And Gail, before we let you go, I was noticing—I believe it's on your website—are are you do you uh, spend winters down in, in Naples, Florida, Esplanade, Golf Course and uh, Country Club?
2: I do, and that, and I'm headed back that way, and and uh, we'll start uh, back up teaching uh, on November first, and and really look forward to uh, a good season there after you know after cleanup from Ir- Irma. And Esplanade is open, and we're we're very playable, and and uh, looking forward to seeing all my students back down there again.
0: Do you ever get to another good friend of the show, Tom Patry, spend some time in the winters down here. You ever see Tom? I,
2: I stand on the tee next to Tom Patry, so I see him every day.
0: <laughs> That's what awesome. Good means. for you guys.
2: It's the best.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, good it's for the you. Best. <laughs> so, Gail, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with the great things you're doing, whether it's online or over social media?
2: Well, I'm on Instagram at gailgramgolf um, and Facebook as well. And then uh, my website is gailgramgolf.com. And i um, love to see everybody down there in Naples and, or around the country. I seem to be doing a lot of traveling and, and with golf. So um, anywhere I go, I'm glad to meet uh, new golfers.
0: Well, Gail, it's been a thrill getting to have you as part of the show tonight. So many other things I'd love to get your thoughts and insights on. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. It's been a lot of fun.
2: I would absolutely love to do that, Chris. Thank you so much.
0: All right, Gail. Take care. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again real soon.
2: Thanks. Take care.
0: Thanks, Gail. You too. That is Gail Graham, and again, online gailgrahamgolf.com, and you know she has achieved so many things, and she's a wonderful teacher now, and uh, you can you know see all the great things that she's doing online, and and check it out on Instagram. That's where I. First caught up with Gail and then you know, on the other social media sites as well. But boy, what a treat to get to spend time with someone like Gail. And hopefully we get the privilege of having her back on the show again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Bill Abrams, I want to give a shout-out again to some of our sponsors. First, I want to remind you about our friends over at SinkIt.com. You know how we like to keep things on the positive side here on Next on the T and have a positive approach both in life and out on the golf course? Well, we're excited to be partnering with the folks at SinkIt.com. Keep putting that positive thought of sinking the putt in your mind with their great line of T-shirts and hats to win any tournament. You've got to sink the final putt. We all wake up every day to finish strong, sink the putt, close the deal, work hard, get better each and every day have the confidence to push forward towards your dreams with unwavering passion and you're going to sink it in life check them out online at sinkit.com and folks have you heard me talking about clubhub we've been doing it now for a couple of months and if you haven't listen up and get ready to discover the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out there other shot trackers tell you what happened clubhub tells you what happened and why Take the progress that you make on the practice tee directly to your rounds of golf with the only device of its kind that you can take actually with you on the course. I have club hub sensors on all of my club. You screw them right into the tops of your grips. And I can tell you, I've learned more about my swing and all the data elements that you could ever want since I put Club Hub sensors in my club. And I've learned you know, more than I have in the last 40 years that I've been playing the game of golf. But before you go out online and buy your own set, our friends at Kinetic Sports Have a special limited time discount for our listeners. Now, for the entire month of October, you can get any Clubhub product for 25% off by entering NEXT, N-E-X-T, into their promotional field on clubhubgolf.com. You're going to get Clubhubs for a stellar low price. Again, head to clubhubgolf.com, again, clubhubgolf.com, to get your Clubhub sensors today, and you're going to see your game in a whole new way. Also want to remind you about our friends over at Par Bar. Energy and focus on the core is is essential whether you're playing you know on the tour in your club championship or your weekend four ball with your buddies. Par Bar is the golfer's nutritional bar, and it can help you with both—again, energy and focus. Eat some when you're uh, going to the first tee, and then you eat the rest—you know, every three, three holes until it's finished. And you're going to play with more energy and focus to win. Par Bar was developed by a lifelong golfer and a food scientist to help all golfers play their best. Go online again to ParBarGolf.com to order yours today. And folks, this segment of the show we are sponsored by. The folks over at the PGA Tour Superstore.
1: This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at pgasuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris.
0: Yeah, and folks, one other thing to know about our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore—they are uh, teeing up a virtual nine-hole golf tournament series, you know, and they invite golfers to play the country's most popular and famous golf courses in a fun, and affordable, and convenient manner. Over the next four weeks, they're going to be holding indoor nine-hole tournaments, which include virtual competitions on top golf courses from around the country. Each week, a new nine-hole tournament format is being introduced with up to $200 in weekly prizes for tournament contest winners. They also feature a closest to the hole contest. Entries are $19.99, and for more information and to register for the virtual tournament, go online to PGATourSuperStore.com. All right, now joining me. On the French Lick Resort guest line is Bill Abrams. Let me give you some background on Bill. Played his college golf at Lycoming College up in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. He became a member of the PGA of America back in 1993. He was the Central Illinois Teacher of the Year in 2004 and 2005. He won the Horton Smith Award for the Illinois PGA in 2005, and that that award is given annually to the golf professional for their outstanding and continuing contributions in developing and improving educational opportunities for Illinois PGA professionals. He's been recognized as a U.S. Kids Top 50 teacher and a master teacher. He was the 2012 Central Illinois PGA Professional of the Year and in 2015 the State of Illinois PGA Golf Professional of the Year, and I'm thrilled to have him tonight with me here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bill, thanks for coming on the show.
3: Hey, Chris, thanks for having me tonight.
0: So, Bill, the awards I just read off in your intro don't even account for all of the things you've been recognized for in the game of golf. Clearly, you are dedicated to the game. So when did you first become involved in golf, and when did the love affair with the game start for you?
3: Well, Chris, um, really, I had a three iron and a putter when I was probably six or seven years old, and um, neither of my parents played but, uh, through time, I showed a lot of interest to it and got a job at the local country club in Tawanda, Pennsylvania. And, uh, I worked for a, a fellow, Mike Finnerty was his name. He was a PJ member. He, uh, was an assistant to Bob Ross at Balthus Roll. And, uh, you know, at 12 and 13, Mike taught me an awful lot. And then I worked on for a bunch of other great PJ professionals over the years with Paul Roman, John Graysick, um, Chuck Nebels, Hunt Gilliland. Uh, Tom Minahan, Jay Williams, especially, he was the one that really, uh, put me over the top and, uh, showed me an awful lot about the game. And my, my passion's always been there. I've just always loved the game.
0: And Bill, I was just talking to Gail Graham about this, you know, as well, but I was curious, when was your aha moment in golf? When did you realize, you know what? I could be pretty good at this.
3: Uh, I I think the the time was I was playing in our junior club championship at Tawanda against a staunch opponent. And I made a a 45 foot putt on the 13th hole that probably up in the mountains of Pennsylvania, probably had 10 feet of break on it. And I drained it. And it was just like, right then it was like, yep, I think we can do something here. You know, that was really, if I say (laughs) there was one moment in my life, it was, I mean, it was a putt and I was back there, uh, Visiting family this summer, and I tried to, you know, I I rolled the same putt. The cup wasn't there, but I was like, I still can't believe I made the thing.
0: And Bill, talk about your time at Lycoming College. How did how did you wind up playing your college golf there in Williamsport, Pennsylvania?
3: Well. I I also played basketball. I was a four uh, four year letter winner in basketball and golf. And, um, unfortunately, uh, at Christmas break, I took an ACL injury and, uh, really wrecked up my left knee pretty badly. Um, and that prohibited me from playing golf that year, but, uh, I'd had some opportunity to go some, uh, few bigger places to play, but it, it was the nice thing with, uh, you know, with playing at glycoming is I could play both sports. And I think that was something at that time was very important to me
0: and bill you know you you talked about you know some of the things you did in junior golf, but you know talk about playing at the collegiate level. Were you prepared for what it would be like to play at that level because of the experience uh, you had in junior golf, or was it completely different uh,
3: um you know, it really wasn't that uh, we were a small school, so it really wasn't that different. I was playing against a lot of the same people that um that I had played against there you know there were fellas that I'd competed against in juniors Ted Treva for one. Uh, who played for a long time on the PGA Tour and won several events Um, you know it was it really wasn't that much different Um, but uh, you know the the mindset is always different you have to you feel like you have to be on notice every day and play your very best and uh, you know now you're representing a team a little bit more so it makes things a bit more difficult I guess at at times but uh, you know with the team component that I was used to from playing basketball from the time I could you know, it's about ten years old. It it really wasn't as as hard as I thought it could be, but um you know, yeah, it is a little bit different, but not that much if you're you know, if you're competing.
0: So tra- you transitioned from playing college golf. At what point did you decide teaching the game was gonna be your calling?
3: Um, I'd worked uh I'd moved to um Florida in uh, nineteen ninety um and worked for uh a man named Chuck Nebbles at uh Mariner Sands Country Club. And that summer, I, I moved up to uh, Chicago for the summer and worked for Jay Williams, as I'd mentioned before. And, um, you know, through the uh, as a early on apprentice, he uh, he did allow me to, to coach a bit with the um, with the juniors and, and some of the newer players. And I really got a passion for it. And um, I, I took over for Jay in 95 as the director of golf. We had two facilities, a public and a private. And um, I still have, still had a passion for teaching, even though I was, you know, a director of golf. And in, at the end of the 1998 season, I just decided that, you know, being behind the counter, running events was very fulfilling, but it wasn't as fulfilling as seeing players smile when they hit a great shot. And at that time, I founded uh, Golf Solutions Academy and uh, moved down the street to a, a club called Balmoral Woods in Creed, Illinois. And uh, the rest is history from there.
0: And and to that end Bill you know you're you're also a top 50 US kids teacher talk about you know your experience of playing junior golf and now teaching juniors how do how do how do you translate you know the things that you learned as a junior golfer the things that maybe Jay Williams and the folks that you know taught you as a kid how do you translate that back now to being you know such a great teacher for our juniors
3: you know, I think it's so much of his experience um, and you, you hit it on the hit the nail right on the head there. Um, you know, through some of the experiences I had, you know, playing well in tournaments, but also playing poorly, because, you know, a lot of times we we try to learn from our mistakes, but we don't learn from our successes enough. And I think being able to impress the players, um, you know, to be prepared for every shot that the next shot is the most important one you're going to hit you know, really being in the present and being mindful of yourself. And I think that's one of the things, you know, with the, with the younger players, no matter if they're competing at a high level or if they're going to be a, a weekend golfer who's going to be at the local club playing on Saturday and Sunday mornings, um, you know, I think that's one of the few things that we as players don't do enough is be our own best friend and be mindful of us. When we get that <clears throat> and we get a young player doing that, boy, I tell you what, it's the difference. Even if it's a player that'll never break 82 in their life, but they're going to play three times a week. That's what we need to build as well as a highly competitive player.
0: And that's a great point, Bill. And the phrase you mentioned a moment ago, playing poorly, kids tend to get impatient if they're not playing well. I know my son does that. You know, He plays on his high school team. How do you keep kids focused with the proper attitude, you know, even when they're not playing well, to not really go in the tank you know, and just you know, give up?
3: Well, you know, one of the things that I, I really focus on a lot is I, I figure the type of learner the child is, if they're, if they're a visual, a feel learner, or a, um, or an audio learner, and we build a routine for them, especially the ones that compete. We have a routine that's based on, on, on the way that they learn and really get them to follow that routine to the, to the point where when they're over the ball, they've got one thought. Now, what that, what that does is, we'll take the player out on the course and we'll play a little bit. They'll hit five, six, seven great shots in a row and then hit just one that absolutely stinks. Real quickly, I'll say, okay, what was your swing thought on that one? And there might've been, their swing thought may have been, you know, finish high on my left foot. And they said, all of a sudden I'm going to work on my tempo. I said, well, why'd you change your mind there? And all of a sudden they start, they begin to learn that they have to have that consistent mind base for them. We work on their consistent, proper setup that they can do. And now it's also thinking consistently. And as we work that player thinking consistently, it's amazing how much better they perform, um, you know, on any level.
0: And, Bill, like I say, you know, for, for my son, he, he likes to swing hard, right? It's all about distance mm-hmm. for him. And when things right. start to go wrong, he doesn't stop and think, you know, to your point about a, you know a swing thought, he doesn't stop and think, well, what could have gone wrong? on that swing, you know, right. why did I pull hook right. it, or why did I slice it, and then he ends up getting down, and then he struggles for several holes until he relaxes, right. again, you know, how do you get, you know, junior golfers well, to slow down, and think what, you know, think about, what did I do wrong here, and how to self-correct, right. because we can't always be with them, coach can't always be right. with them on the course.
3: right, well, one of the things, Chris, that I, I really impress upon players, is we take that, what did I do wrong, level completely out of it. We focus so hard on what the player needs to do to hit a good shot. So instead, they hit a bad shot. He or she hits a bad shot. I don't ever want to hear, what did I do wrong? And I really get them out of that on the practice tee and when we're working on playing lessons. I get them more into, okay, well, I didn't finish correctly. Okay, you know, they're not worried so much of what they did wrong. I give them better ownership of what they need to do to make a good shot. And i found over the years – mentally that really calms the, the young players especially down tremendously they don't sit there and and perseverate three holes later on why'd that ball dive left on me there they get enough ownership of their swing that they're more focused on what needs to happen and I've seen so many players we, we you know just recover after a poor shot and hit an outstanding one following it up and you know, it, it's it's amazing when we're focusing on what we need to do right, and I find this with a competitive player as well, especially the juniors. We don't talk about this so much. They hit a bad shot, and they can follow it up pretty good with a decent one following it, even if with a bad shot. But the problem is when they hit a, an outstanding shot, say they hit a par five and two, or they hit it a foot on a par three, what happens on that next swing on the next tee? And, you know, it, it goes to the same thing. They don't focus on what they need to do to make the good shot. And it's very simple, you know, having that one thought, you know, do all your your uh, planning and um, and uh, laying out the groundwork behind the shot, and once you're over, it, you're thinking one thing was your swing.
0: And, you know, and you make a great point there, Bill, because, you know, on a couple of things, and I love the positivity. You know, don't focus on what I did wrong, but what I need to do to make a great shot next time around. I love that mind change. But, you, all, you know, the other thing you talk about, and it's not just for juniors, right? You know, I, I know, I, know no. I do this and a lot of, you know, my buddies do this, is when, when we do hit a really good shot, right? When we make it the green and two, to your point, mm-hmm. on a par five, or you hit a great shot on a par three, you know, and you make the birdie. So, you know, post-birdie post syndrome. Right. What happened? I just hit a birdie here. I just hit, you know, I just hit my next one out of bounds. How do we how do we stop that?
3: Well, it it just goes to the point that I can prove, you know, and and don't take this the wrong way. Every every person in the world has some form of attention deficit because we just hit the most beautiful shot we've ever seen in our life. And we want to change something on the very next one. We're going to do something a little (laughs) bit different. We're just on to the next thing. And that's the biggest key that I find, you know, one of the games that I'll have players do is, you know, to help that as they really get better, because that's the biggest thing I see with good players is they put a string of good shots together. Then all of a sudden that thought in their mind is, you know, even as a, as a 12 handicap, they'll hit a good string of shots. And then all of a sudden they'll say, Oh, I got lucky or something. And then it it just all falls apart there. One of the neat games that I'll have them play when they're practicing is a two ball reverse scramble. You hit two balls off the first tee. Instead of going to the best spot, you go to the worst spot. Play two shots from there, two shots from there, two shots from there um, until the hole is done. So in all likelihood, if you hit your, you hit a par four, you hit two decent drives, you go to the worst spot, you hit a good iron shot a foot from the hole, how do you respond to that next one? Because that first one doesn't count. It's the, it's the, the furthest one from the hole that counts. In re- in reality. So that's one of the things I think we don't ever think about so much. It's how do we react to something that's super good. We're always worried about how we react to something that's super bad. And as a player gets better and they get control of their their thought process, that super bad shot becomes less and less. That devastating shot becomes, you know, we can do things to try to eradicate that. But the problem a lot of times is when you hit that super good one, how do you behave and react after that? And that's that. That's where we start to see the growth in a player when they can get that to where they can string together a whole bunch of great shots as opposed to, you know, hit one good one and then be off for five or six holes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Bill, something else we talk a lot about uh, on this show is the short game. And like I said, you know, kids seem to be more interested in distance than they are, you know, spending time practicing their wedge shots from, you know, 30 to 50 yards mm-hmm. in or chipping around the greens. How do you make that fun for kids so they want to spend more time on their short games
3: well you know one of the things we'll do uh you know a couple things up go out and play a few holes with uh with the players and you know have them hit from their appropriate tees and you know we'll get done playing three or four holes and you know i'll be around level par and they may be three over you know this is a player that's probably shooting in the low 80s and i said now what's the difference between you and i you look at it and it's not that the hitting the ball is that much different it's the it's how we play inside of 50 yards that's the huge difference and you know turning what used to be four shots into three three shots into two two shots into one and you know when they really uh, appreciate that and I get the younger players especially out on the golf course very early on um, and they find out real quick and I'll ask them point blank we'll hit a few shots a newer player We'll hit some, we'll work on the short game, we'll work on the range, we'll a little more short game, and then I'll take them out on the course on the third or fourth lesson. Neat thing is, we get done playing, I said, now what was the thing to do, hit the long shots or hit the little ones? And 99% of the time they'll tell me they hit the little ones. Now they're part of the solution because they believe, they know on the golf course what makes the difference.
0: And Bill, you've got a lot of great teaching videos. Yeah. You've got a lot of great teaching videos, and I've seen some of them out on YouTube, and I want to talk about a couple of them. And the first one is about chip shots. Talk about how to set up properly for chip shots.
3: Well, you know, one of the things that I've seen, uh, and we have to define a chip or a pitch. Do we want to air, put some air under the ball, or do we want to hit a low runner? Um, for the low runner, we're going to let the ball come back in our stance a little bit. But one of the things that I've really found over the years and, and working with players and seeing the best players do it is avoiding a lot of shaft lean. We see so many times a player will try to chip or pitch and get that shaft leaning at, you know, 22 to 25 to 30 degrees forward. Um, for me, again, standing up consistently, that doesn't work so good, but also it brings in a very steep dig into the, into the shot. I prefer to see the player utilizing the bounce of the club a little bit better with a more neutral shaft and then letting the ball run out with a little bit less loft instead of, say, say taking a 60 and hooding it to try to hit a low running shot, why don't we take a gap wedge or a 9-iron with a neutral shaft and hit that low running shot a little bit easier that way? And once we start getting that lean going, we we compromise the bounce, and a player can't use the bounce and ends up digging. Or Then the, the result from it is if you start digging, the next thing you're going to do is pull up on it. So what happens then? You hit some skull shots. Just simply enough, we get set up with the, with that neutral shaft and feel the, the bounce of the club hit the grass at the bottom, whether it's a 7-iron or whether it's a 56-degree sand wedge, and hear that sound of that, that club just bouncing and sliding on the grass, and that, uh, that will produce some very, very good results uh, no matter who you are. And
0: Bill, talk about posture. How can we be sure that we are set up over the ball with the proper
3: posture well you watched a lot of the video so you got a good one here <laughs> a few uh, a few <laughs> things that uh that players overlook i feel is balance and the posture and the setup it, it is something that is necessity but we so much talk about how the hands work and the arms work but if we're not in a stable setup it, it's very difficult to, to hit a shot. And I've got a, a method that I'd learned from some very good uh, uh, personal trainers that I'd worked with on um, myself was, you know, to increase your balance, we close our eyes. We do some, uh, some exercises where we do curls on upside on a BOSU ball and have your eyes closed as the final stage of it. And I tell you what, try doing that sometime. Stand on one leg and curl some 25-pound dumbbells with your eyes closed. it's a it's a challenge to needless to say what we like to do then is have a player once they uh, get in their postures close their eyes right away they'll immediately know is my weight on my heels is it on my toes am i leaning right am i leaning left It can get the player back up into that centered position where their inside of their feet is engaging the ground a little better and that's going to give them a much better balance and base now the tempo doesn't become such an issue if your balance is good so often a player will get off balance and that's where they really run into some issues with, you know, the pace and how people talk about a quick swing. But if we have that good balance, just by simply closing your eyes, you can feel the difference. If your head's leaning too far down, you close your eyes, you'll feel yourself kind of fall forward. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of good to that. And it's a real simple way for everybody. They can get up right now and do it in their living room and work on their posture all winter long. If you're in the Northern climates, it's a it's a great way to get yourself going, especially if you're going on a trip out of town over the winter.
0: Bill, just a couple more before we let you go. And, and you know, you've talked about ways to make other people smile when they're playing the game and, and being mm-hmm. positive. When you look back over all the things that you've done in the game of golf, is there a memory, is there a moment or two that you enjoy looking back on and reflecting on the things that you've done to make you smile?
3: Uh you know, I just think as a as a collective whole, the game has been so good to me. It's been, you know, something I've been able to do with my sons, um, you know, with my closest friends, my dearest friends, and go to some places that, you know, you would never imagine as a 12-year-old boy that you'd ever be able to go. And, you know, I think as a whole, there's really not one one thing. It's, You know, it's more of a, you know, a mosaic of all the, the great experiences I've had in golf. I've played some some great rounds, and, you know, one of the, the laughable ones is I played, uh, I got a, a questionnaire on a tournament one time, what's your greatest moment in, in golf? And I, I put in, I played the ocean course at Kiowa Island from 7,000 yards with one golf ball and a 25-mile-an-hour wind. And, I mean, wow. you know, something funny like that, but, you know, it's it's just little things like that. As I say, it's not one big not one big piece that gives me all that area to smile. It's just, you know, it's just a buildup of all these things. Some of the great relationships i have built on the golf course. Um, I can't even, you know, I couldn't even begin to imagine how they'd be without golf.
0: So, Bill, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they follow you? How can they learn about, you know, your teaching and and uh, some of the lessons that you have, whether it's online or it's over social media?
3: Yeah, my, uh, my uh, website is billabramsgolf.com. Uh, as is my Facebook page to make it real easy, just billabramsgolf.com. I'm located at uh, TPC Eagle Trace with the Golf Channel Academy here in Coral Springs, Florida for the winters and at Balmoral Woods in the summers in the southern part of uh, Chicago. Um, My uh, Twitter handle is at billabramsgolf, so everything's pretty pretty simple there, and uh, we'll do some posts, and I have a YouTube channel you can access through my website.
0: Well, Bill, it's been a pleasure getting to spend some time with you, and I can't thank you enough for coming on and being a part of the show. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. A lot of other lessons, oh. a lot of other tips I'd love to get from you. And uh, uh, it's just, like I say, it's been, a, you know, it's been a real treat to get to spend the last half hour with you. You're fantastic.
3: Oh, Thanks very much, Chris. I appreciate the kind words, and I'd be happy to come back any time. And, uh, you know, as we say, we specialize in making players smile, and that's, that's the whole key. We want players playing more because they play better. Thanks again, Chris, for go. all your efforts. Appreciate it.
0: All right, Bill. Thank you very much for your time tonight. You we'll bet. look forward to catching up Take with care. you again real soon.
3: You, you bet. Thanks.
0: That's Bill Abrams. Again, BillAbramsGolf.com and at and, uh, BillAbramsGolf on Twitter as well. And uh, check him out on YouTube. A lot of really great stuff there. Can't thank Bill enough for his time and being a part of the show. Folks, before we close up shop, you know how we like to go out by reminding you about our friends and uh, PGA Tour Pro Jim Estes and the great folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association. Let's hear a word from Jim about all the great things that they are doing.
1: The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country.
0: Yeah, folks, they're doing some amazing things there at the Salute Military Golf Association. To find out more information and how you can get involved, go to smga.org. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My thanks to Gail Graham and uh, and Bill Abram for being a part of the show tonight. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Give us your feedback there. Plus, if you've got any questions, for one of our future guests or one of our previous guests that you'd like to get answered, please let me know. I'll be glad to get those on to whichever guest you like for you, get an answer for you. Please go online. Check us out. This show, is you can find us online at nextonthetea.net, and on there you'll see who some of our future guests are going to be, plus you know a long line of our archive episodes as well. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazari, and our announcer, Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday. Night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio. And that show, like this one, is also available as a free podcast over on Podbean. We can't thank those folks enough for featuring both shows in their sports and recreation section. And, folks, if you love listening to podcasts across all genres, give them a try go look, go check them out at podbean.com or the podbean app on your uh, on your smartphone as well on Thursday night tailgate I want to let you know we are joined every week by five NFL legends sharing their stories from their playing days plus their insights into today's game and we also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our spotlight on the positive segment again you can check uh, that show out online at thursdaynighttailgate.com folks thank you so much for choosing to listen to the show today. We know you got thousands of shows and podcasts to check out. We really appreciate the fact that you are making Next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.
1: You've been listening to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories Join us the same time every Tuesday To hear more stories about the game we love From people who love sharing those stories with you It's all about the great game of golf It's all about the great game of golf